is joining us around New Jersey, the Tri-State area. Glad you guys are with us. Glad you're here for part five, where series Love Comes to Town. Hey, before I tell you about this, uh, I want to do a little housekeeping here. Um, just a, a refresher, as you've probably heard from your campus leader. Love Week is almost here, okay? October 29th. I just want to encourage you as a senior pastor, encourage you and your family uh, to sign up to serve. We have so much happening, and this is really a way, if you're new to our church, to experience the heartbeat of our church. We love putting our faith into action. We don't just, you know, love God with our minds, but with our hands, and we're going out to serve, you know, uh, you know, homeless veterans, the elderly. We have over 400 outreaches for you to choose from. I want to show you just a little on our website. If you go on there, you can sign up to, you know, build a house with Habitat for Humanity. You could, uh, you know, have a Halloween party for kids with special needs, uh, help with uh, homeless veterans, visit the elderly. There's just like infinite amount of opportunities where we just want to put the compassion of Christ on display all across our state. And so that's October 29th. And that's really how you get one of these t-shirts. So visit, if you haven't, liquidchurch.com slash loveweek. Um, we have a lot of our small groups serving together and hopefully families. These are family friendly. So parents, you can serve with your kids or invite a friend. It's also a great way to just introduce them to the love of God in a really, really super practical way. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the room. How about those Yankees? Can we hear and thank them for a great season? It was a great season, right? <clears throat> I think you can agree we went farther than expected uh, and I have a feeling we'll be back. Amen? Amen? But I am a man of my word. And I had a bet with a pastor in Houston, Pastor Chris C. of Ecclesia Church in Houston. And he said, uh, you know, the loser has to preach in the opposing team's jersey. And so today, my friends, is a very dark day in the history of Liquid Church, all right? I know, I know. Jesus said, love your enemies, so... This is happening. I was like, you know what? It's, I got my Astro orange. I was like, I'm not buying an Astros jersey, but this says Texas on it, and I feel like this counts. So can we send some love to Houston? Give him a hand, okay, Pastor Chris? Public humiliation. We'll be back. We'll be back. Actually, it couldn't happen to a nicer say. They've been through so much with Harvey. If this gives you guys hope, God bless you. Um, I thought it was kind of funny, actually, thinking about it, because... The way only God can arrange. Today's topic is anger. <laughs> We're talking about how to handle your anger, you know? And I was like, isn't that interesting, Lord? You're preaching to me. Um, but anger really is one of the most, you know, common emotions we all have in life. I think it's also one of the most misunderstood. And what I found is a lot of Christians assume, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I can't be angry, right? Because, you know, getting angry is a sin. Uh, that's not actually true. You know, in the Bible, it says, in your anger... 
do not what? Sin. So anger itself actually isn't always sinful. In fact, anger is an emotional capacity that's been given to you by God. And you're made in his image, and this is important you know this, that God gets angry. Did you know that? God gets angry. God gets angry when he sees injustice. God gets angry when he sees racism. God gets angry when the Astros win. But God is... (laughs) That's going to be hard. Help me, Lord. But God is also perfectly loving. So understand this. Sometimes anger actually is a sign of great love, right? I mean, if somebody hurts my wife or threatens my kids, guess what? I'm going to get angry, right? Why? Because I love them. If, If I didn't get angry, it would mean like, I don't care. I don't love them. But see, the opposite of, of love isn't anger. The opposite of love is apathy. It's not caring. So there are times in life when you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to get angry. See, the problem isn't anger. The problem is how we express it. Whether it's appropriate expression of anger or inappropriate, there always is a right way and a wrong way to express your anger. One helpful, one harmful. Well, today I want to share with you a message that I'm calling triggered. Or as my kids would say, Triggered. Uh, If you're over 30 years old, I'm about to let you in on a little something. This is actually a phrase that uh, kids kind of use nowadays. I got a middle schooler, high schooler. When somebody gets offended, you know, or they kind of blow up, they go triggered. Uh, For instance, in the morning, (laughs) I've learned this out of experience, you know. Kylie and I go to get our kids up, you know, and at first we're super sweet. We're like, hey, good morning, sweetheart, you know, rise and shine, you know, come on, get up. Ten minutes later, it's like, Honey, uh, we're running late. Come on, you need to get up. You know, 10 minutes later, get out of the bed, you know, kind of. And uh, the kids will be like, whoa, okay, dad's triggered. And, of course, there's now the meme. So, you know, parents, <laughs> I just let you in on a little something, something here, okay? Triggered is a thing, all right? Don't believe me? Here's how the Urban Dictionary defines it. Getting filled with hate after seeing, hearing, or experiencing something you can't stand. See, also game seven. So triggered means you get angry, you get ticked off, you know, uh, you, you feel like punching something, a wall, or, or maybe punching somebody. This is why we put a picture of a boxer in your group's guide, okay? We're going to learn how to handle anger with people we love. Um, you know, sometimes uh, stuff happens that make you want to kind of punch the wall. If you remember, um, I actually opened the series with a pretty embarrassing confession, right? How early in our marriage, I got so mad and frustrated with my wife that one night I actually punched the closet door in frustration, actually splintered, you know, the door in our bedroom. That was stupid, you know, it was harmful, it was destructive. Uh, Nowadays, you know, fast forward 19 years, you know, I I don't punch, you know, walls or the closet door. I punch a gym bag. In fact, that's one of the things I love to do, like at the gym. Actually, my, uh, we, we go boxing. This is a little video, a little iPhone. Look at these moves here, people, okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm George Foreman right there, man. Jesus said, knock you out, okay? So this is the thing, okay? When you know how to express anger constructively, it can be a great ally. It actually produces great relationships, great athletes. It fuels them, great businesses, great ministries. In fact, when anger is handled really, really well, it builds the strongest relationships. But when you mishandle it, it can destroy everything in its path. It can burn down families, marriages, families, and those we love the most. And the reason for that is we don't know how to manage it biblically. I can almost guarantee that when you grew up, nobody took you aside and said, okay, here's how you handle anger. Here's how you manage it. Your parents didn't, you know, at you know, 14 years old say, okay, come on, we're going to train you how to do this. And they get you in a ring and give you gloves. And here's how you handle your anger. Nobody taught this to you in school. My guess is you've rarely seen it managed well in business. 
Most churches don't even teach what we're going to learn today. And that's because we live in what psychiatrists call an age of rage. In 2017, people get triggered about everything, right? Whenever I'm offended, whenever I feel a hurt, you step on my toes, I'm triggered, okay? Let me ask you that question. What makes you feel triggered? Is there a situation or a person in your life who routinely makes you angry, okay? I want you to try to visualize them in your head. I said visualize them, don't point at them. Who, who, you know, who makes you mad? You know, maybe it's your spouse who's always late or critical, or it's like your kids. You're like, they never obey on the first ask. I always have to repeat myself. Or it's your in-laws who are always like nitpicking at your parenting or something. Or maybe there's just a, maybe there's a friend, you know, who's just never there for you when you need them. They're only in your life when it's convenient for them. Or it's an ex, you know, who breaks up after they, you know, they, they text you. They don't have the decency to say, you know, they triggered. See, we all have people in our life who make us mad. Now, I want you to visualize them in your head. Now, I want to ask, what do you look like when you get angry with them? That is, how do you typically express your anger? What I've noticed is that there's typically one of two responses. I, I find that people either, they kind of blow up, like, I'm, I'm furious with you. You know, they kind of rage and they spew lava everywhere. Or they blow up or they, they clam up. They go to their corner and sulk. I'm not talking to you. You are getting the silent treatment shun. You'll have to figure out why I'm not speaking, you know? People are the mute or people are the maniac. They either clam up or they blow up. Mute or maniac, which are you? Or are you kind of somewhere in between? The reality is when you and I get angry, and guys, all of us do, right? Neither of these extremes is healthy or biblical. The Bible talks a lot about how to manage your anger appropriately so that it actually builds up relationships instead of burning them to the ground. So I want to invite you to open your group's guide to Ephesians chapter 4. This is page 25 to see what we can learn about handling anger in a healthy way. This is um, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. If you remember our um, Revelation series, Ephesus, right? It's a city in modern-day Turkey. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Christians there, and he's counseling them, what do you do when you're triggered, when you feel angry or somebody hurts you? Here's what Paul writes. Read, read this together. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And then he says, I want you to get rid of these things. Get rid of all bitterness, all what? What's this word? Rage and anger brawling and slander. It's like he's writing to a biker gang or something, you know? Rage and anger, brawling and slander, like this is a church, along with every form of malice. And then he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as what? Read it together. Just as in Christ, God forgave who? You. Today, I hope you are going to take notes, right? This is going to be super practical. Like last week, we talked about, you know, here are the four steps to, uh, you know, speaking the truth in love. Today is going to be practical. I always want, like, what you learn on Sunday morning to immediately, like, you put it into action Monday morning. So I want you to write down your notes, one, two, three, four, five. I'm going to give you five steps that the scriptures outline about how to handle your anger, how to tame your temper biblically. And if you're taking notes, the first, the five steps to tame your temper is you first have to resolve to manage that which means basically stop making excuses. A lot of people say, well, you know, Tim, I, I have a temper. My dad had a temper. I can't control. I'm just, I'm just an angry person. I just get, you know, you have to resolve 
and manage to manage it. You have to stop making excuses and acknowledge, you know what? Anger is a choice. Just like love, this is a choice. It's not just a feeling, but anger is a choice. You, when you get angry, you choose to get angry. You, no, nobody can make you mad. People always say that. They say, oh, he makes me so mad. Listen to me. Nobody can make you mad without your permission. The Bible says anger is a choice, and you choose daily whether to manage it or not. In fact, the Bible says this in Proverbs 29. It says, foolish people, this is how you act like a fool. Foolish people do what? They lose their tempers, but wise people, the smarties, what do they do? Control theirs. Write down that word control, because control means it's a choice. It's a responsibility. When I get angry, I am either choosing to give up control or not, and I can't blame anybody else. What I find is that a lot of people blame their families. You know, they say, well, you know, my, my father had a temper, uh, you know, and his father had a temper. I'm just, you know, we just got tempers in our family. I'm just like them, you know, chip off the old block. Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm Latino or I'm Italian. We're hot-blooded people. You know, we're very passionate, you know. Or, you know, I'm Irish. We're the fighting Irish. It's just how we are, you know. I don't know who that leprechaun is. That's just like... You know, but we always blame Simon comes or biology or DNA. But the truth is, you have far more control over your anger than you want to admit. I'll give you an illustration of this. You ever have this? You're at home and you're in a fight or some sort of argument with somebody, you know, and you're like, your voices are getting raised. You're like, well, let me tell you something. And then, like, your phone rings. You're good. I, I gotta just give me one second. Hello? Hey, yeah, it's. Fr- yeah, no, he's right here. Yeah, sure, absolutely. It's for you, sweetheart. Dead. Right? What happened there? Right? You just turned on a dime, right? You, you didn't want to be embarrassed. You didn't want to look like you were out of control. And so you flipped the switch. You see? Anger is a choice. And that's the first step to taming your temper. You resolve to manage it. Resolves means you make the choice in advance. You don't decide to manage your anger in the moment. You don't wait until, like, you know, your adrenaline is shooting through your arms and your blood temperature, you know, pressure is rising and that little vein in your neck is popping out there, right? At that moment, you've already lost the battle. There is no way. You have to resolve to manage it in advance. That's what resolve means. It means you decide something in advance. It means you say, you know what, before I walk into this meeting, you know, and deal with my difficult boss... Uh, before I take that phone call, you know, with that, that, that customer who's a kind of a PIA, uh, you know, before, I'm not going to get angry. I've already decided in advance. Before I step through this door to talk to my teenager who broke curfew again, I am not going to lose my temper. And you commit to God to de-escalate it before it happens. Not in the heat of the moment. You realize anger is a choice, and I'm going to make the wise choice to control mine. How you do that is by remembering the cost. Step number two, first, we resolve our anger. Second, we remember the cost. There is always a price tag to anger. The Bible gives dozens of verses about the cost of losing your temper. Uh, Take Proverbs 29, again, book of wisdom. You know, the Bible's so practical. It says, hot tempers start what? Fights. A calm, cool spirit keeps the what? Peace, right? Any married people testify to this verse? You're like, that's true, (laughs) right? The first step says, uh, you know, hot, hot tempers, you know, start fights. I, I can certainly tell you about a few. I mean, you guys know. I'm, I'm an open book. We've told you about this, you know. It was very difficult early in our marriage because, you know, Carl's kind of, you know, Italian-Irish upbringing. She's like, you know, conflict, we turn it to 11. <laughs> the volume goes up. And I'm Dutch, so it's like the volume goes down. And I get quiet and just look at you self-righteously and judge. 
Look at the crazy person. Wow. Dude, you are out of control. Amazing. Ah, explosion. And we would put the gloves on, and we'd go round for round, you know, and we would take like a week to unwind. The Bible says hot tempers start fights. And so when there's conflict in our relationships, here's what I found. Most people tend to be either a turtle or a skunk, okay? You know what I mean by that? If you're, you're, which one are you? If you're a turtle, that means, you know, whenever there's conflict, you kind of like pull your neck in and go back in your shell. And like, I don't like conflict. I just kind of want to hide a little. I'm just going to stay over here and be quiet. I'm not going to fight back. I'm going to be Mary Martyr, okay? That's the turtle. Any turtles here? Raise your hand if you're like identified with the turtle, okay? Yeah, okay, cool. All right, awesome. Uh, on the other hand, if you're a skunk, okay, it means when there's conflict, you're going to stink up the place, man. I'm mad, everybody gonna know it, okay? I'm just dropping bombs here, people. You are gonna stink it up, you're gonna explode, the, the vein in your forehead's gonna pop out. Maybe you throw a temper tantrum, or it's like, you know, Mount Vesuvius, you kind of erupt, right? How many of you are married to a skunk, okay? <laughs> all right, all right. I, again, maybe you're here and you're like, well, that's not me, you know? I don't go around punching walls, kicking puppies, I don't stink the place up, you know? That's because you're the turtle. See. And this is the thing. People ascribe a moral value. They say, well, isn't that the more godly way? You know, no, 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 no. This is the person who stuffs their anger. They're still angry, but they just stuff it down deep. And they go like this. They go, me? No, I'm not mad. Why do you say that? <laughs> no. <laughs> when reality is right, you know. They're like mad as hornets, and now you're like, maybe you're a psychopath because they can't actually say what's happening, right? They bury their feelings way down deep and hate, because I hate conflict. I don't want to rock the boat. So you stuff, stuff, stuff that anger. But guess what? Over time, it calcifies into a tumor of resentment, and it poisons the relationship long-term. That's the danger. Turtles and skunks, skunks and turtles, which are you more like? Here's what I have found. It's, skunks almost always marry turtles, and turtles marry skunks. It's like, I think it's God's sense of humor. He, like, draws them together. He's like, want to have some fun? Watch this. You know, like, he just wants to see this happen, you know? Um, here, in fact, here's a few uh, facts about anger. These are scientific facts you might not know. Uh, the average woman loses her temper three times a week, while the average man loses his temper about six times a week. Okay, yeah, so about double. Yeah, okay, no, wait, just wait. Um, women mostly get angry about people and relationships. Okay, that's the main driver of their kind of, you know, like, I can't believe she said that. How could she? She did it. Whereas men, this is hilarious, uh, statistically, they get most angry at things like stupid lawnmower, you know, broken machines, that's, <laughs> right? And events, you know, like Astro Sock, you know, that sort of kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, single adults get angry twice as often as married adults. Why is that? Because typically there's not a lightning rod there. Oftentimes the spouse is a lightning rod. Um, men are far more physical in their anger than women, and you are more likely to express anger. You want to guess the place? Work, school, home, what do you think? Home. It's not even close. It's like 70% more conflict at home. It's kind of like, well, duh, right? Listen, successful relationships are not where there's no conflict. Okay, I always, I hate that when people are like, you know, oh, you know, we've been married, you know, 42 years, and we never had a fight. I'm like, baloney, you know, enjoy your passive-aggressive marriage. Like, that's, that is not true, okay? Rich relationships, marriages, are where that couple's honest, but they've learned to manage it, and it produces depth of relationship. Proverbs 11.29 says this, 
the fool who provokes his family. So if you want to be a fool, here's how you do it. Provoke your family to anger and what? Resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. You see, you may think, well, you know, no, we, we just, you know, this is how we are, man. We duke it out. You put your gloves on, go to your corners. Whenever anger wins in a home, you lose. Think about that. You lose every single time you lose your temper. In fact, I want you to write this in your notes so you won't forget it. I want you to write, when anger wins, I lose. Can you say that with me? When anger wins, I lose. You lose every single time. What do you lose? You lose trust, number one. You lose respect. You can lose the love of your family. I mean, parents tell me this isn't true. I mean, you learn pretty quickly on. You can pretty much scare your kids into obeying and doing anything you want if you get angry enough at them, right? Your parents, some of you grew up in a household like that, right? It was always a threat for even little things like, hey, brush your teeth. If you don't brush your teeth right now, I'm going to brushing teeth. Now I'm going to go watch sports centers, what I'm going to do, because I just scared them. I had to ramp up my emotion. I'm manipulating them, right? And here's the thing. That works short term. It always works in the short term. You can actually get adults to do almost anything by scaring them. But long term, the effects are devastating. It poisons the relationship. There are three long-term price tags for anger. The first is aggression, that person gets hostile back towards you. Then apathy. They actually stop caring what you think. And then finally, alienation. They start distancing themselves from you. Some of you guys know this from work, right? If you work for an aggressive boss, let's say, you know, how many of you have a boss or like somebody who, or you've worked for somebody who kind of, they're a yeller or they threaten to fire you if you don't perform, that kind of thing. They think like, if I just show aggressiveness and get angry, that will motivate my employees. Does that ever work? Never works, Right? Most of the time, you end up acting hostile in return. You get aggressive back, a little bit sharp-toned, or you get passive-aggressive, you know? Oh, you want the report? Sure, I'll get you the report. I ain't giving him that report. <laughs> I'm going to steal office supplies. I'm not, I'm not doing my, you know, <laughs> right? Second, if they keep getting angry, pretty soon you get apathy. People stop caring because they say, you know what? I can never please her, you know? I, she's always angry, and guess what? I'm always wrong. This is the way a lot of teenagers feel about their parents. At some point, they just say, you know what? I'm always wrong. I can never please them. And mom and dad are always angry. And so they become apathetic. They stop caring. You know what? I'm going to stop caring about this. And if you keep getting angry like that, pretty soon it becomes alienation. They start drawing away. They start moving away to protect themselves. And that relationship becomes very strained and eventually breaks. So understand the cost. When anger wins, you lose Every single time. You may get short-term compliance, but in the long term, you poison the relationship. And that's why you've got to resolve to manage it. You've got to remember the cost. What do you do when you get triggered? Here's the third thing the Bible says. You reflect before reacting. In other words, you think before you speak. If you're going to tame your temper, you have to put your mind in gear before your mouth starts flapping. Listen to what James 1.19 says. Everybody should be quick to do what? Quick to listen, but slow to what? Speak and slow to become angry. So when you feel triggered, something, you know, ticks you off, gets your goat, the Bible says you don't actually need to, you know, ramp it up. You need to slow it down and watch your words and take your time. Hit the pause button. Let there actually be a little lag time before you respond. Be slow to speak 
Slow to become angry. Write that word slow down. What James is saying is one of the greatest tools for anger management is delay. In heated situations, just slow things down and wait a minute. Take a step back. You get an upsetting email, you don't say, oh, really? (laughs) Bam, you know? If somebody says something mean or critical, you don't immediately respond back to them. Instead, you delay your response. You watch your words. Believe me, as a pastor, I, I, you know, I get all sorts of emails you know, over the years. I actually have on my laptop a folder of emails I've never sent. <laughs> emails that I have written when I felt a little triggered or defensive, and then I've waited because I realized you never hit the send button when you're angry. You just don't do it. And typically, I go back and realize, oh, that was a journal entry for me. <laughs> that is not something that's going to benefit them. You know, it was Thomas Jefferson, our third president, who came up with the idea that when you get angry, you need to count to 10 before you speak. There's actually wisdom in that. You've heard that idea, count before 10, 10. Delaying your response is a good tactic. The longer you hold your temper, the more it actually cools. Look at Proverbs 29:11. It says, a stupid man. So if you want to be stupid, here you have to do it. <laughs> a stupid man gives free reign to his anger. But a wise man, what do smart people do? Waits and lets it grow. What's this word? Cool. You know what the Hebrew for cool is? Chill out. (laughs) This is God saying, when you get angry, chill out. Slow down, take a step back, take a breath, and chill out. You know, at Liquid Family, at our our kids' classrooms, they all have a chill space where kids, you know, they get kind of excited or ramped up. They, They go into the chill space. Some of us need a chill space at our office, right? A chill space in our homes. God says, hit the pause button. I want you to think and reflect before you react. Have you ever noticed it's very difficult to put your foot in your mouth when your mouth is closed? Very challenging to do. The longer you hold your temper, the more it cools, and delay is a great remedy. Now, I want to clarify this because you could mishear this. The devil could use this, and and, and you're going to mishear this. Listen to me. I am not talking about delaying it for a week, a month, a year, You know, just kind of step over it and carry it around. Remember, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't carry anger from today over until tomorrow. If you don't, if you don't, if you hold on to your anger for more than 24 hours, guess what happens? It starts turning into resentment. It morphs. Anger is not a sin. Resentment is a sin. The more you hold on to it, the more it's going to morph into resentment. So I'm not saying delay it or put it off and carry it around anger in your heart for weeks and months and years and not deal with it. Uh, for instance, I, I'm, I'm saying, you know, if you're in an argument, you know, and you're getting emotional and the other person's getting emotional, it's actually okay. It may be the kindest thing you can do as a Christ follower. And it's just like, can I just time out? <laughs> can we just take 15 minutes? I just need to cool down. I need to process what you're saying. Uh, Colleen and I actually learned this uh, early in our marriage, you know, um, sometimes it was a tool that has been very, very helpful to us, you know, when we were having a, an argument or strong opinions, you know, about something and, and it was getting heated, I said, honey, I just, I just need to, can I, we just take five minutes, I need to take a walk, and that for me was super helpful, I, and I would tell her, I'd say, hey, I'm not running away, <laughs> I'm not turning my back, I just need to go take a walk around the block and clear my head and process what you're saying, because I want to make sure I respond well to this, uh, and what I would do is I'd walk around the block and I'd be praying. I'd be like, you know, Holy Spirit, I'm very, you know, upset. I'm a little bit raw and defensive right now, but show me, Lord, 
What's my part in this? And Ka will tell you. I, I, I often come back and I'm like a changed person. Why? Because I'm putting down my flesh. Because anger resides in your flesh. And it's like, you want to respond to your flesh. But you have to invite the Holy Spirit to live out of your heart. I need the Spirit of Jesus here to respond here. So you let the physical symptoms recede. The heart rate goes down. The adrenaline goes down. It subsides a little bit. And it gives you time to reflect. The Bible says you reflect before you react. You think before you speak. Now, I know what some of you cynics are thinking, right? Some of you are like, well, that's nice for you, Pastor Tim. What do you think about on your little prayer walk, you know, while you're spiritually angry walk, all right? You got to ask the question, why am I really angry? In other words, what's behind my anger? Because here's the secret. Anger is not a primary emotion. Did you know that? Anger is actually a secondary emotion. It's just, it's, it's the light, the warning light on your emotional dashboard going off. But anger is on the surface, but it's never the root cause. There's always something underneath it. And when you get angry, there are typically three root causes that you can always trace it to. It's either hurt, somebody hurt you or wounded you, uh, frustration, or fear. You feel afraid. I mean, if you think about this, it makes sense, right? You know, if you get hurt physically, let's say you're working with a hammer, right? And you're like, you know, you're hammering like, oh, and you hit your thumb. You don't go, oh, praise God. Uh, no, well, you know, right? What do you do? A stupid hammer, you know, you get angry, right? Same thing. Someone wounds you emotionally, you get angry. Frustration typically happens, uh, and it's a very natural response, right? When so you want to accomplish a goal, and there's something preventing it or thwarting it, right? Like when you're, if you're, um, if you're late for a meeting and you're forced to wait in traffic, oh, I, I'm guilty of this two or three times a week, okay? This is like a lingering character flaw in your pastor. I'm waiting for Jesus to return, you know, and just change this in my heart. But I get so, my flaw is this. I am perpetually 10 to 15 minutes late to everything in my life. And so I was late, to, I was in, I'm in the car, and I was late to a, a staff meeting. It was a prayer meeting. We're going to have a prayer, prayer about we're getting to our new campus in Parsippany. And I'm 10 minutes behind, and, you know, but, I'm still get, but everyone knows I'm 10 minutes behind, so I'm going to get there sort of on time. And then there's a detour sign. You know, the orange cones are out and everything. I'm like, detour. And now it's 12 minutes, 13 minutes behind. I hit a light. It turns green. The guy in front of me, he's texting, you know. And I'm like, come on, dude, come on. Come, I, I have, Lord, I have a prayer meeting. I have a prayer. Get the hell out of my way, you know. I'm late for prayer meeting. This is your pastor, okay? Pray the Lord's sanctity. Jersey traffic is like a threat to my faith, I swear. But you know what I'm talking about, okay? Frustration. The third cause is fear, actually. And it's not fear necessarily like, oh, you know, I'm going to be hurt. But fear is just sometimes, uh, like think of um, when you go on Instagram or Facebook, right? And you see a picture of your friends and, oh, look, my friends and, and, and you know, a few of their friends. They're all out apple picking. I want to like this, but I sort of hate them, Right? Why? That's fear of missing out, right? You feel insecure now because somebody's having something that you're not and you maybe are getting left behind. Nothing fuels insecurity like social media does. But hurt, frustration, and fear, those are the three root causes of anger. Every time you feel triggered, this, one of this is behind it, and this is key. You have to analyze your anger. What is underneath the surface? What's the root cause behind it? And only then can you release your anger appropriately. All right? Let me give you a real-life example. Uh, ladies, uh, I'll give you an example. I've, I've heard this uh, said before. 
Uh, maybe your husband or your boyfriend, you know, you're at the mall and, you know, you, you, he looks at other women or you notice he denies it, but he always is kind of doing the side eye thing, right? Now, when that happens, like it's very common, I hear this from couples, like they get very, extremely hurt, feels very disrespectful. Um, if you're a woman, right, you got a choice here. Am I going to be the turtle or the skunk, right? What's the skunk going to do, right? It's going to be like, hey, did, you're such a pig, you know? I can't believe you. You're disgusting. I can't, right? The skunk does what? You make a big stink about it. You blow him out of the water, right? Does this work? Or you become the turtle, okay? You, okay, fine. And you withdraw and you pull back. I'm going to give him the silent treatment. And the guy's like, hey, you know, are, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, you've been, you've been receiving any of that one, Alan, right? Or, uh, you know, and then you go out to dinner and it's like, you know, hey, you're not, you're not eating the food. Yeah, I'm not hungry. <laughs> you eat. I'll watch right? And you're like, what is happening, you know? And then you go home, and we're, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to withhold sex or something, because I'm going to teach, well, teach you a lesson. Does that ever work? It never works, because it never gets to the root issue. You have to analyze your anger and say, what is really making me mad? And then listen, you have to speak the truth fiercely, but tenderly. You have to be totally honest. Honey, can I tell you something? The, the way you look at other women really hurts my feelings, you know? When I, when I, it makes me feel insecure. When I see you looking at other women, it makes me feel like I'm not enough for you. Can you hear that? Listen, you, do, you lower your defenses. You open up your heart. You be honest. You be, this is scary, vulnerable. And guess what? Most reasonable adults will respond to that. Notice how I said most reasonable adults <laughs> will respond to that. Because it takes a real jerk, right, to get defensive when somebody's opening their heart and, and being vulnerable. Guys, this is such a powerful principle, and it diffuses triggered situations. I remember one time our family was uh, having dinner, and, like, after we finished eating, we re realized, uh, I think we were watching, like, American Ninja Warrior at the time, you know, and kids were like, oh, it's the finals, you know, and so we all go running into the living room without leaving all the stuff on the table, and we're watching American Ninja Warrior, and, you know, where's mommy? Oh, you know, she's cleaning up in the kitchen, and sure enough, she's cleaning up, but we didn't have to guess because you could hear her cleaning up, you know, like, you know, banging the, the cabinets or closing like this, and you're just sort of like, wow, what is happening in there, you know? Now, uh, now, this has taken me 19 years, okay? And, uh, and so I go in there. I'm like, hey, sweetheart, you know, something wrong? And, and, and she's like, no, no. Now, understand, early in our marriage, if she had said, no, no problem, I would have been like, good. And then you're like, <laughs> you know? Dad, she's still banging the cabinets. Turn the volume up, you know? It's just kind of like it would have unraveled, right? But after 19 years, we have learned to communicate super honestly about the root cause. And so Carl didn't say no. She says, yeah. She, she goes, I, yeah. I just, Tim, I get frustrated <laughs> because, you know, I'm working all day and I come home and I make dinner and then you and the kids, you know, you want to relax, which I understand. You want to go hang out, relax in the living room. Well, guess what? I'd like to relax too, but then I feel like I'm a maid, you know? I clean up by myself. I'm your maid. And now, you know, I, yeah, I'm frustrated. Now, do you think I heard that? You better believe I heard that. I'm like, kids, hit the DVR. Get in here, you know? And they came in, and we started drying dishes together. It's these little things. A domestic dispute gets diffused. But early in our marriage, you know what I would have done? 
I would have been like, oh, okay, you, you think you're the only one who works here? I was working today. I was 10 minutes late for the friggin' prayer meeting, and we would have gone, right? We're going to duke it out. And it would have taken weeks for us in our marriage early on to unwind that. See, you have to learn how to speak the truth in love, release your anger appropriately. There's always a right way and a wrong way to express it. I told you about that skunk approach, you know, where you stink the place up and you launch verbal bombs, and you know why you do that? Because it actually feels good. (laughs) You feel better, don't you? Short-term. This is the key. Short-term, that feels better to you. And the world will tell you that that's how you get healthy. This This is the difference between Christianity and secular psychology. Secular psychologists have a theory. They say, in every human, there's like a little bucket of anger boiling inside of you. And if that anger gets up there, up there, up there, the only way for you to get healthy and better is you just need to dump the bucket out, blah, and just pour it out, okay? And over anybody, and now don't you feel better? Yes, you do. Here's the problem. The Bible says you don't have a bucket of anger inside you. You have a factory. You got a factory. The human heart produces anger naturally and nonstop. And when you express it by screaming or yelling or blowing up in a rage, it doesn't like diminish production. It increases production. Rev it up, boys. So when you erupt like Mount Vesuvius, you you pour your anger out like scorching lava on the people you love, it burns marriages, families, kids, friendships. You know, maybe you don't relate to this. You're like, you know, I'm not the the skunk who pours it all over. I'm not the turtle. I, I, I speak up. You know, I'm neither skunk or turtle. That's because you're a different exotic animal. You're the mockingbird, okay? You know who the mockingbird is? This is the person who releases their anger by making sarcastic comments. Yeah? Am I speaking to anybody? Insults, little cutting remarks, right? You know, you feel triggered, and you're like, you know what? Okay, oh, you think me? Well, how about the time you... And you slice and dice like deli meat, you know? You got a deli mouth. Typically, people who are hypercritical and judgmental are insecure. Insecurity is the root cause behind gossip and slander and brawling and backbiting, all this stuff Paul's talking about. Again, take a look at our animals today, turtle, skunk, mockingbird. Which are you? Everyone is a dysfunctional, destructive way to release anger. So what's the biblical way to release it? The answer is this. You don't express it. You don't suppress it. You confess it. You admit you're angry and confess the cause to yourself, to God, and then to the person you love. Remember, anger isn't a sin. Anger is an emotion. If anger was a sin, then God's a sinner because God gets angry. He doesn't just get angry. God gets like wrath kind of angry. You know the word wrath? It's like a you know, biblical term, the wrath of God. God gets angry when he sees child abuse. God gets angry when he sees a rape. God feels wrath when he sees racism and bigotry and sexual harassment. God says, me too. There are a lot of things in our world that are flat out evil. And you, as a Christ follower, made in God's image, you ought to get angry about that. But the Bible says, in your anger, do not what? Sin. That means you got to release your anger appropriately by confessing it. Confessing it to who? First, you confess it to yourself. You admit, guess what? I'm human. (laughs) I've been hurt. I'm angry about this. I feel frustrated. I feel insecure. I feel angry. And then you confess it to God. 
You're, he's your father. You're made in his image. You admit to God how angry and hurt you are. You ask him and say, you know, I can't even control this. My heart is bubbling over. I need the Holy Spirit right now to give me the peace that I don't have. I need the Holy Spirit to give me the patience that I don't naturally feel. And only after you confess it to God do you confess it to the person you love. Remember last week, we learned how do you speak the truth in love. See how we're building sequentially here? Love doesn't pretend like nothing happened. Love doesn't put a mask on, pretend, no, I'm not really ticked off. If you're mad at your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your brother or sister, you don't pretend it didn't happen. That's repressed anger. You know what repressed anger is called? It's depression. That's, a, that's the number one cause of depression. Did you know that? Suppressed anger. It's not the only cause. The number one cause of depression is when people stuff their anger. It's often called frozen rage. You kind of swallow your anger, and then your anger swallows you. And that's why you must confess it honestly but tactfully to the person who hurts you. And you do it out of what? Love. You do it out of a desire to repair the relationship, to restore it, to make it stronger than it was before. You do it honestly and confess the root cause. You say, you say honey, I just, I thought, I thought you and I, we were going to get out of debt this year. And honestly, I'm frustrated. You drained our savings account again. I thought we agreed to stick to a budget, and I see we're down to zero. We're in the negative again. I feel, I feel it's frustrating to me. I want more for our family, and I need to feel like you're my partner in this, not my sparring partner. Go to your corners. I'm getting on this side of the table and agreeing with you in my anger against what's happening. That's how you release your anger appropriately and in love. Love doesn't fly off the handle, but it also doesn't turn a blind eye to the truth. Loving anger has a goal. Same goal as God's anger poured out on Jesus so we could be his children. It's to repair and restore a broken relationship. And that's why you must receive help from Christ. Notice it doesn't say receive help from a counselor. This is the fifth, the final step to taming your temper for good. If you're looking at your notes and you're like, resolve to manage it, you know, reflect before I react, Tim, I'm, uh, there's no way I can do this on my own. Guess what? You are 100% right. You need the supernatural help of Jesus Christ. This is the difference in being a Christian. If you go back to Ephesians 4, God says, I want you to get rid, right? Look at the text. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of rage. Get rid of anger. And you're like, how do you do that? Here it is. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. And let's read this big, loud voice, church. Just as in Christ... God forgave you. See, when you feel triggered, guys, you're not going to, you know, draw strength from reading a self-help book. You're not going to be helped by watching Dr. Phil, okay? It's only going to make you feel more angry <laughs> or self-righteous. Look how much better I am than the other people, you know? The only solution is to actually draw on Christ's power to change your heart from the inside out. See, when the love of Christ fills your heart, and you realize what Christ did on the cross, right? The cross is at the center of our faith. You know what happened on the cross? The wrath issue was solved. You know what wrath is? Wrath is just the Bible's fancy word for anger. The Bible says by nature, we're all objects of God's wrath. He's perfect, perfectly loving. We are not perfect, and we are not perfectly loving. And so all of God's wrath at my sin, at your sin, at the world's sin 
God pours out his wrath on who? Does he pour it out on me? No. Did he pour it out on you? No. Who did God the Father pour out his wrath on? Jesus Christ on the cross. He literally absorbs the wrath of God in our place out of what? Love. He says, I am so committed to rescuing this relationship, restoring communion with you, that I'm going to take all the wrath so that there's nothing left in God's heart except what? Love and grace and patience and forgiveness for you. That's who your father is. Praise God with me. Come on, praise God. That's amazing. That's, that's God's solution for wrath, the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? God isn't angry with you. Even if you feel like he's angry or disappointed, that is not, that's you projecting it onto God. A lot of us have angry parent situations or fathers or upbringings, and we think, well, that's what God is like times 100. It is not what God is like. God dealt decisively with wrath and anger for wrongdoing on the cross in his son. He says, now I have unlimited patience and love. It's called grace for you, and I'm going to fix you. I'm going to give you a heart transplant. You need a new heart. Because anger is not a feeling. Anger is not just an emotion, you know. The, the heart of the problem is that anger is a problem of the heart. It starts here. It does not start in your family. It is not about DNA. It starts in your heart. The Bible says whatever's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. So if you have a cutting tongue, it means you have a hurting heart. On the other hand, if you find somebody who is, is, is encouraging, you know, that they hurt, but they're fiercely honest about it, and they're gentle with their words. You know what it means? It means in their heart, the spirit of Jesus is living in and through them. So maybe you're here today and you realize, man, I've got a heart problem. <laughs> you know, I am triggered more often than I'm not. There's only one solution. You need a heart transplant. You need a heart new to heart. In Psalm 51, David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. That's what you need to pray. You need to say, God, I, I need a heart transplant. I need the spirit to cleanse my heart, and I want to surrender control so the spirit can live out of me and not just my flesh. You know, maybe you were raised in a home where you felt unloved, or, or, or there, were just, there were tempers and there were always angry words. Or maybe you were hurt deeply by somebody you love. Somebody betrayed you. You feel, you feel anger at your ex, you know. Or someone you looked up to and you always wanted their approval and they always held it back and you're just angry at them for that. You know what God says? God says, I see your pain. It hurts me too, but I want to replace your pain with my love. That's the invitation to follow Jesus. In the end, you have to ask for and receive help from Christ Jesus alone. You draw on the strength of the Holy Spirit. God can fill a hurting heart with his peace. If you have an insecure heart, he can give you confidence because when you've been loved well like that by your heavenly father, what can man do to you, you know? If your heart is hurting, you need to invite Christ to come in and heal it today. And that's what I want to do. I just want to make some room for us to pray. Time just for personal prayer. For do you share honestly what's in your heart with your Abba Father God? So let's do this. Let's just um, bow our heads, all right, all of our campuses. Let's take a couple minutes here to pray. I'm going to pray for you, and then you can just speak to the Lord. Father, I know you're speaking right now to people, speaking to me. And we just confess, God, it's, it's sad, and it's, but it's true. We often get angriest at the people we love the most, the people we're closest to. 
Lord, I'm certain there are many people here today at every campus who are struggling with anger. They're saying, me too. Lord, I ask you to help them now. Jesus, whatever their hurt or frustration or fear right now, we confess it to you and invite you in, Jesus Christ. Do a work of healing and restore hope in our hearts today. Again, we're praying right now, and this is personal time. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here today, and you'd say, you know, Tim, I, I, me too, I need God's help. I struggle with anger, but I want to be free. <laughs> I'm going to ask you just to kind of slip your hand up right now in the air so I can pray for you. Just slip your hand up at all of our campuses. I may not be able to see you. God can see you. Yeah, me too. Okay. Now, I want you to make your hand into a fist. Just close it into a fist as a way of saying, you know, I confess an anger issue. And I want to invite you just right now to pray silently along with me. You can pray this in your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I struggle with my anger. Jesus, I need your help. I need a heart transplant. I want you to heal my heart with your love. And so I'm opening my hand. Just to go ahead and open your hand right now as a symbol of opening your heart to God. Just open your hands. Keep them open. Jesus, today I'm opening every room of my heart completely to you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Save me. Change me. I confess my temper has hurt those I love, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Holy Spirit, help me reflect before reacting. Teach me to release my anger appropriately. And Holy Spirit, make the changes that only you can do. In the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for your truth. Lord, your word is just so practical and relevant. It helps us in every area of our life. Jesus, we just confess we want to be lovers, not haters. We want to be filled with your spirit. We want to be filled with your peace, filled with your joy. So fill your children now as we leave this place. In the name and power of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Everybody said together, amen. Amen.